Welcome to the Rise Network podcast show, a podcast dedicated to help you reach your dream lifestyle through investing in real estate. We're going to be sitting down with new, intermediate, and experienced investors to talk all about real estate and how it has changed their lives. If you're looking to scale your portfolio or even just get into real estate investing, you're in the right place. Make sure to tune in. Hello, everyone. You are listening to the Rise Real Estate Investing Podcast with your host, Austin Ye. And Mayu cannot be with us today. He's taking the day off. He's slacking. No, I'm joking. He's just a little bit sick. Uh, so everyone wish Mayu quick recovery until he jumps on the next preamble. Um, but just some quick updates. We're going to keep this preamble short and sweet because I feel like when I'm speaking alone, I don't even know what the hell to talk about. Um, so let, what, what, I've been, what have I been up to this week? I'm already losing my mind. A couple of things. So we moved a few wholesale deals last week. It's good because we're seeing buyers slowly coming back. Might be as a result of resumed confidence in the real estate market, or maybe buyers are starting to believe that we are near the bottom in terms of pricing or possibly sales activity. I mean, we were hovering around close to 20 year or in some areas, it was more than 20 year lows in sales activities. And with bond rates, coming down. We're seeing some fixed rates being relieved. We're seeing some fixed rates starting with the four again on the insured side and variable rates anticipated next year to drop as, as the Bank of Canada has anticipated to drop rates next year as well. That's steaming up a little bit of confidence in the market, although things are still obviously much slower than they were before. You can still get away with conditional offers on the MLS. That being said, on my side of things, I'm starting to look at deals again and seeing if I can get one possibly under contract before the end of the year. Just to hedge my bets in case the market does rip up and recover again in, in the springtime. I personally didn't believe that it would recover so quickly. I was wrong this year where it did sort of rip up around the April-May period. Not sure if it's going to happen next year, but traditionally speaking, December and November is when you can find the most deals as usually there's the least amount of activities, least amount of buyers out in the market. So, I mean, worst comes to worst. Even if the market doesn't necessarily recover significantly next year, I'm still looking for a good deal in itself. And I, and I think now would be a good time to do so. What else has been going on? Back in Canada has held rates. I made a story on that on my personal page, so I won't go too deep into it. A lot of the same rhetoric as they've always said before, although they are less hawkish, which is obviously a good sign. Um, again, bond yields uh, coming down. Sorry, I already said that. I'm trying to think what else I've been doing. Oh, yes. On the tenant side of things, I've had a tenant that had stopped paying rent for a while. I think they're $4,800 behind in rent, got them to sign the N11 and got them out. Uh, we have our hearing on April 3rd, I believe, of next year. So hopefully we can recover some of those funds. But as you know, it's very difficult to get that money back once the tenant leaves. Even if you have a judgment and they don't show up and you don't have the new address or you can't find them, you're going to likely have to hire a private investigator. Um, for more details on that, you should listen to the Andrew Trubetta podcast that we had a while ago. We talked all about that. I don't know if it's going to be worth uh, spending all that extra money and time uh, for only a possibility to get that stuff back because that person was also unemployed as well. They lost their job. So I don't know if uh, if they're going to get a new job and, and be able to to pay that money back, or they're definitely going to have less incentive to do so. Also, uh, I've been going through the mortgage process as I've been keeping you guys uh, updated with uh, looking to become a mortgage agent, hopefully be licensed by either the end of December or next year. So 
reach out to me if there's if there's anything I can help you with. And I think that's about it. There's probably some other small things, but again, just having having Maya to bounce off of makes this conversation go much more smoother than awkwardly speaking in a room myself. So we'll jump into the podcast. We have Ping Su with us today, and he is an investor extraordinaire, has multiple businesses. We get into so many amazing topics. He's actually the business partner of Andy Parafis, who was our last podcast guest together. They founded Property Hustlers. Ping got started in the real estate investing world over a decade ago with student rentals and quickly grew his portfolio and expanded into multiple businesses, the property management, and now he's a real estate broker as well. He recently, over the past year, began his social media presence and has already grown to over 3,000 subscribers on YouTube and has gotten a ton of impressions and clicks on his content on Instagram and TikTok. So there go all in. Ping doesn't shy away of coaching as well as he looks to pay for speed, which is an important topic that we get into today. We get into flipping into today's market. We get into how to create a sustainable cash flow business in today's market because it's one thing to buy properties and hold on to it. But as we all know, with higher interest rates, with higher expenses and rents not catching up to those expenses because we're only able to increase by a certain amount every year, our cash flow is going from neutral to negative or positive to neutral in a lot of cases. So it's very important to be able to understand the fundamentals of how to monitor as real estate, which is what we get into. This is an episode you guys cannot miss out on. And if you enjoy this podcast so far, make sure to give us a like, share it with a friend, leave a comment. We'll try to get more and more likes onto our podcast. It helps bring great guests out and it helps keep my and I motivated to pump out as much great content as possible. Anyways, without further ado, we'll jump right on to it. Just a heads up before we get started, this podcast is all about providing you information, not financial or legal advice. So if you need the real deal for your situation, hit up a professional. We can't promise you our information is always up to date or accurate, and we're not responsible for any investment decisions you make based on it. Markets change, information change, you know the drill. Anyways. Thank you for hanging out with us responsibly. Let's jump right on in. Hello, everyone. We are joined with our very special guest, Ping Su. Ping, how's everything going? Great. How are you? Doing good, Ping. Doing good. Wow. <laughs> Sorry, that's not that. How's it going? And for any, anyone that doesn't know you, Ping, why don't you give everyone kind of a quick background on yourself and kind of how you got into this investment journey? I, I've been following you on social for, I want to say a couple months now, but still learning a lot about you myself. So. Uh, so honestly, like we just started really pushing our uh, social media about a year ago. Uh, we were never really big fan of uh, pushing our content. Uh, never wanted to be a YouTuber or content creator uh, in real estate space, especially because we just, uh, we're just we a little shy. Me and Andrew, we never felt the need to actually do that. Until about a couple of years ago, we we're like, you know what? We really feel like we're missing out a lot of good opportunity because uh, our uh, online exposure is just not enough, right? Our network is not big enough outside of our active business in property management, real estate, even investment side. So we decided to uh, start really commit our time and effort into learning um, this space, right? Social media space and try to like put out as much content as possible. So that's kind of like what we're currently focusing on in terms of the, well, I shouldn't say focusing on, like we, we really committed about one to two days uh, per week to really try to like push this out and try to improve over time. And as an investor, we're already seeing some pretty decent results. I actually started investing in real estate back in 2010 with my mom's uh, guidance uh, uh, going into real estate. So 
I got accepted into engineering program at McMaster University. First, uh, even before the semester started, my mom actually sent me down, wrote 20 on my notebook. And then she said, uh, she said to me, you have two jobs to complete in the next four to five years. Number one is your engineering degree. Number two is you need to have 10, uh, 20 tenants paying you rent by the time you graduate. <laughs> and the reason why she set up that goal was because uh, we, we kind of grew up. I, I grew up uh, with my mom trying to figure out how to invest in real estate back in Taiwan. And that kind of created an option for us to kind of uh, um, travel. Sorry, not travel is one thing and also immigrate into, uh, to Canada, right? So she wanted to kind of set up the foundation and really teach me how to do this uh, throughout my you know, university um, uh, journey. So that's kind of how I got in. First property we got a, you know, every property that we got was a value add uh, approach, right? Full bedroom. And then uh, we have to do a bit of a value add uh, renovation to the basement, adding additional units, two rooms. Uh, so first year I got six rooms, second year seven, third year eight, and then uh, the fourth year was uh, seven again. So in total it was at like 27 rooms by the time I finished school. So that's kind of how everything started. And then uh, 2015, I'm like, you know what? I kind of know enough about the real estate market, especially in student rental area near McMaster University. I was looking around and uh, came across with my current business partner, Andrew. He was already in multifamily space, triplex, and then uh, there was one conversion that he was doing aplex um, uh, in, in Bayfront area. And that's when we're like, you know what? I really don't want to stay in engineering uh, for too, too long, right? And then he had the same mentality. He was working with the family uh, for the construction business. And that's when we met and we're like, okay, how do we actually get out of this, right? Because our opportunity cost is actually pretty high. As an engineer, I do have a pretty decent salary that I'm drawing. And then for him, he's got an actual business that he's running as well. So right there, the very first thought was, listen, we need to like figure out how to grow our portfolio using the active approach so that we can also replace our income. And that's actually one of the things that I wanted to sort of uh, touch on is how to monetize in real estate, because I feel like a lot of people neglect the part of a monetization. We always talk about investing, burn method, we try to grow our portfolio. And then we end up being super cash poor along this journey. Interesting. I was just going to take it back to, to how you first got started, because I think there is an important part of your backstory there. How were you buying in undergrad? Because 2010 to 2014, that's around the same time I was at Laurier, you were at, at Mac. Uh, I know Laurier Waterloo prices, and I'm assuming it's about the same in Mac, probably about three to four, maybe max 500 a house. But most of the stuff you'd probably buy around three to 400K. You still need an income. You still need a down payment. Like what was, uh, what was that journey? Because scaling four properties at that time was still, you know, something big, right? <laughs> Great question. Great question. Fully supported by the family, uh, leveraged the family's credit. As I, the whole purpose of uh, getting myself into the into real estate was really for solely for educational purposes. Uh, what my mom told me is that he's, she's going to support me with uh, the funds, but she wanted me to actually find deals. Number one, it has to be, well, value yeah, she, she didn't actually restrict it on me on, on or off market deal, but the very first one was actually off market deal. And then uh, the price was 272 k um, at the time we were able to do the refi and then actually brought some capital into Canada and then use that to, uh, have leveraged my parents' uh, credit to, you know, uh, sorry, new immigrant benefits to kind of qualify for the uh, first 65% of a uh, mortgage. So we use that. And then the uh, second year we're, we're kind of offloading a little bit our portfolio in Taiwan, just because of our focus is basically shifting into Canadian life. And that's why we're, we're having a bit of a, a money to play around with. Gotcha. So, okay. The little bit of the family was helping you out along the way. And uh, you still scaled it to 27 units at that time, right? I mean, yeah. So I'm just curious, um, 
you know, A, what are the challenges at that point? I mean, you know, I wanted to buy back when I was in university. I got, for the most part, I got lazy, to be honest, right? Like my parents were like, hey, like, you know, rather than spending all this money on rent, we can buy a place and so on. And I was like, I don't want to have my friends as my tenants, right? What are your thoughts right now on the, uh, the student rental market in McMaster? Do you think it's still viable to do what you did back in 2010 to 2014? Do you think someone else could do that today? Uh, definitely a little challenging. Uh, I'll be honest with you guys, right? And with all the audience, right? The, the main thing that I find that a lot of new investors, their mistake is that they're trying to copy other people's journey. But other people's journey is simply not suitable for you because real estate cycle was different. Price was different. Mortgage term, everything was different, right? At that time, my biggest issue was, was not real estate, right? I got full support, not just a little bit, full support uh, from my family. And then even for the renovation, I came in here to help facilitate the renovation, uh, finding the deals, right? And then uh, placing the tenants. My biggest challenge was actually the communication, right? Because uh, English was never my, like, uh, I, wasn't, I wasn't fluent uh, in English at all. So that to me was the biggest obstacle. Right, it was not real estate. It was not funding. It was nothing like that because uh, I already had a, and my mom guiding me through this journey. So it really wasn't a lot of thinking to do. It's it. It's it. But to answer your question, not a lot of people can can probably duplicate that process because unless you're getting yourself into a market where it's only, you know, like the 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 student rental price is about three hundred k or less, then yeah. you can maybe try to copy my story over there. But also, I got a pretty decent appreciation over time uh, from 2010 all the way to 2015, right? That's where we're able to draw some equity out, right? It, it's not a full burn or anything because the market appreciation was only at three to 5%. Uh, it's still pretty flat at the time, but at least the appreciation is there, right? And in today's market, I think with that kind of student rental, you have to look at the, you know, the city growth, the university plan, right? All that stuff, you have to take all, all of that into consideration. Yeah. yeah, now I would say it's even difficult to pinpoint uh, what markets are going to grow more scalably, right? Because when you look at what's happening in Canadian real estate now, or not now, like prior, all the markets are ripping, right? Some of it based on fundamentals, other based on solely investor demand. We had this conversation with Andrew, and now with things leveling off, interest rates being high, you're seeing those investor field markets drop pretty drastically. And some of those markets that had more fundamentals, like Hamilton, uh, Toronto, so on and so forth. Yes, they experienced a slight decline, but not nearly the extent of, of, of some of the other tertiary markets. So I, I almost feel like functioning in sort of a flat market is almost easier because you do have to rely on forced appreciation. There's not, there's not other sort of appreciation that you can rely on in the short term. I was just going to say one thing there, which is I really like how you said, like a, a lot of investors do try to follow everyone else's journey instead of just yeah. identifying the opportunities that are existing in today's market and kind of carving their own path out there, right? So really like how you said that as well uh, and just reiterate that as well. But yeah, go, go ahead, Austin. <laughs> yeah, so I, 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 wanted to, I wanted to jump into something that you mentioned a little bit earlier. While every investor has their own journey, we're all going to face pretty similar hurdles. And one of those hurdles you mentioned earlier is running out of money. I don't care who funds you your money, their money's going to run out eventually, right? And you're going to have to figure another way to scale. If you quit your job, which a lot of investors, it seems to be like a recent trend, you have to find some way to replace income. So you mentioned monetizing real estate. What does that exactly mean? And how did you go about doing it yourself? Right. So here's the thing. One of the things I actually learned from 2010 to 2015, and again, this is all being in a very fortunate position where someone can actually guide me through this whole journey. My mom had a cash problem back then as I was growing up, right? How my dad compensated was through stock, stock options and all that stuff. How my mom compensated was through uh, business. So she always knew that it is really important to 
grow your investment portfolio, but also at the same time, grow your business income or your current income. That is really crucial to me. And uh, from 2010 to 2015, I don't get any cash flow because it's fully supported by the parents, right? I do all the late working, everything, right? I don't get anything. But what she told me is you have to build in your service fee in any joint venture that you're doing, right? In real estate field. And so from there, I knew right away, whatever I'm doing with other people, I need to figure out a scalable business model where I can draw in active business income for my business, for my personal income, because that pays for the bill, right? A lot of people right now talk about 50-50 profit sharing. They don't get paid until almost a second refi or sell for the project. And that worked in the past maybe three to four years, but no longer working with the interest rate, with the real estate cycle that we're going through right now, right? So we have to be very smart and careful with the business model that we implement for ourselves and for our joint venture partners. So kind of back to what, what you were saying, monetization all started with how can we actually draw the income? And right at 2015, 2016, when Andrew Wing and I started looking around at different opportunities, we had a couple of issues. Number one is that we were doing flips. Uh, we, we also acquired other projects in St. Catharines. And then eventually we ran out of the investor list, right? Uh, sorry, investors on our list, right? Okay. So we realized that, okay, our context is just not big enough. And that's number one. And number two, in order for us to really stay focused on real estate investing journey, we have to start offloading some of the operational work to local property managers. And we had trouble finding that person. We interviewed a bunch and then it just didn't feel like it was a good fit. And then we're like, why don't we just create a private management business, monetize this service through our, our circle, right? There's a lot of landlords near McMaster University. There's not a lot of great property manager. Why don't we do that running as a business and use that to scale up our contacts, our, our, our investor list as well? Because here's the thing, who are you going to trust more? People who are on, on the internet talking about like the uh, real estate market or giving out information or someone that you're already working with on a daily basis. And that's why we're like, okay, why don't we just start with the property management business? And being in a very, almost the first property management company around McMaster University, we quickly, I think the first uh, couple, uh, couple of months, we were able to actually acquire 12 clients. And then uh, that was uh, equivalent to about like 25, 26,000, right? So income came almost immediately. And then right. we, we started managing property. We hired the admin, we hired the maintenance technician. And then we just started like, trying to like put this system in place so that now the business is drawing income from other landlords. And then mm-hmm. another thing that we noticed is that we're able to do the cost down for all of our, our, our own properties as well, right? So that's kind of one way to monetize. And, and what we did was do property management initially. And then very soon after that is that I noticed that I think we grew up to close to like 40 clients. And what I did one day is I kind of sat there, we're like, okay, we're growing because I, some clients are buying, some clients are selling, right? And then I just literally took the total number of transactions that, that they did and divide by the total number of clients that we had. And roughly, I remember the, the number was about 20 transactions and I divided that by 40. I'm like, okay, it doesn't matter what the investor, what the landlords are doing with a long-term or short-term strategy. If I just take the average uh, numbers, every investor is going to transact uh, one property every other year. That's the conclusion I, I, I got. I'm like, listen, like that's 20 deals. 20 deals times like, even just 10K, that's additional 200K that we're leaving mm-hmm. on the table. So right there, we're like, okay, we need to actually get a license, figure out how to monetize or, in, or integrate that service into our property management service. And then once we do that, and then the, the next thing we know is that we notice that some people are not willing to expand or restructure, or they are simply not in the position to actually do that, but they can do refi. So we're like, okay, why don't we launch a flipping business? Because when we do that, we can raise capital from our investor clients. 
right? People who don't who don't have the means or capacity to buy another project, but they get to join into our project just by refi 50 to 100, 150K, they can just dump into our project. And then on the sale of the project, we also take that commission as a listing agent, right? Yeah. So these are kind of a few examples of how we monetize throughout the journey. In the meantime, we're obviously still investing. That's all kind of, uh, uh, we kind of keep it very consistent. Uh, I, I've got a question. Where does the entire social media and, and podcast and all that kind of stuff fit in? Because m- myself at Austin, this is now just general curiosity and hopefully our, our audience finds it valuable. Uh, we view we view the podcast, we view Rise as kind of lost leaders for our own businesses, our own partnerships and stuff like that. Uh, if you guys are dedicating two days a week towards your social media and online presence, like is a plan for that to be a standalone monetized revenue creating kind of business, right? Where does that kind of fit in here as well? Because we've also seen more and more real estate investors come into the online space, come into podcasting and so on, right? Yep. Two uh, main reasons, actually. Number one, so to answer your question, eventually it will become a probably the biggest monetization funnel that we have. Uh, we already have the vision for the next, like, uh, obviously, short-term and, and sort of like medium-term goal for, for, the, for the channel, which I can talk about that in a little bit. But shorter term is, we came to the realization is that if your top of funnel is not big enough, your sales is not going to be big enough anyway. Right. Top yeah. of funnel, meaning like people need to know what you're doing, what we're doing, what kind of service we're providing, what kind of uh, investors we are. If people don't actually know what we're doing, it really affects the, the sales process at the end. Right. So that's kind of the, the triggering point, because we're like uh, looking back to 2015, if we, you were just trying to document every little things that we're doing, pivotal moment, mistakes that we're doing. Um, some real estate project that went south, right? Joint ventures and all that stuff. We just document the whole process, including some wins along the way. I'm pretty sure we're able to draw one more deal or one more investors every single year. And if I kind of quantify that into a, a profit, and I'll use a, I was doing a consumptive number 50K per project, 50K times eight years, 2015 all the way to 2023, uh, uh, that's 50K times eight, right? That's 400K that we left on the table. Uh, in profit. And I know that we can do more. And uh, so that's why we're like, okay, why don't we start experimenting social media a little bit? It's a new muscle that we need to build in. But I feel like we, uh, me and Andrew, we sit down, we're like, okay, we're not feeling comfortable with this, but why don't we try to build a muscle and stack up that skill set on top of everything else that we have built so far? Makes sense. So it's it's almost like, it's, it's sort of how we look at it. It's like a lead acquisition funnel. It's marketing, essentially, right? Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. And, and also, Sorry, sorry. One more thing. Talent. We noticed that uh, we started recruiting a lot more talents through our coaching companies as well in the community. Mm-hmm. We noticed that people, when people came to us, it's a lot better when we're uh, when we're trying to find other people or, or recruit other people somewhere else. Yeah, mm-hmm. the quality of your leads is a lot better. Yeah, uh, I'm curious. Then between the investing and the active businesses. How are you ensuring that both are growing at the same time? And, and I'll tell you why I'm asking this. I usually teeter totter, right? Like where like the mortgage businesses, if it's going like really good, I'm really busy. I'm probably not buying any real estate, right? And then if the mortgage business slows down, then I'm dealing, right? But you know, how do you guys go about it? Is it just ultimately like growing your teams and, and hiring people, which the downside of which is there's a cost, right? There's, there's obviously a cost associated with it. Like it's easy to say, just hire people, right? But yeah, so I'm just curious like how you guys went about that. Great question. So it's all about creating synergy. So for example, flipping business, uh, the reason why we launched that was because we also have a sales team that we're running. Like the, we have a license that we want to utilize as well. 
quickest way is to raise capital, acquire a project, fix it up, which kind of uh, is the revenue for, for the property management business, right? We're leveraging our technician, we're leveraging our, our own like power team to actually handle, um, like keep the cost low for the renovation project. And then uh, once we get it done, I or another team member will list it for sale, right? So we're kind of monetizing in between. So it kind of doesn't make sense for us to slow down with the investment side. Okay, and similarly with uh, multifamily properties, the very first property that we tapped into uh, in multifamily space was 2017. I remember at the time it was still 91K per door. It was very nice. The reason why we got that was because it helped us grow the property management business. So we're always looking for that kind of synergy to uh, basically create that synergy between the business and the investment. As we're mm-hmm. going, going over that, we do have one mentality where we don't want to hold down for a property for too, too long. Three to five years is the maximum that we want to hold down to. With Flip Project, we obviously want to let it keep it less than a year. What's the mentality around that, the three to five years holding on to a property? Great question. So um, initially, I also didn't have that kind of concept, right? Because with my mom, all the properties under our personal names, we, we never had any intention to sell, right? Refine and all that stuff. If it's a bad asset, then yeah, maybe. But one thing that came to my mind was uh, as I was having a conversation with my, my, my parents and then they actually pointed out, they say people's circumstances change all the time. They will have a different priority the moment that they have kids, that they will have the different priority Let's say if they have a medical situation like within the family and all that stuff. So okay. you want to have a stopping point for everybody, even though that asset might be performing extremely well, right? You want to create an exit strategy. Unless everybody agreed to kind of hold on for one more year, you <laughs> have to, right? One person says, hey, listen, I, I just don't want to continue with one, one more year because of whatever happened, right? Or I want to simply just go travel or there's a retirement plan. You want to be able to exit your partner within the timeline that you agreed. Right. This is so that you can avoid a lot of aggravation. And I kind of adapt into that mentality in 2017 because a lot of things that me and Andrew do, uh, we don't have a clear time, timeline with when we're going to edit, uh, uh, end it. Right. And now we do. We're having the, the annual meeting to kind of discuss about the directions and all that stuff. But with uh, any other joint venture where people kind of come in passively, guess what? Some people don't want to be in there for 10 years or eight years. No. Mm-hmm. Right. It's extremely difficult to, 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 uh, to pitch that kind of time frame to the investors anyway. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Okay. So you sort of have uh, in the contract, you draw up three to five years and you are open to have that discussion, right? So hypothetically, right now, if your JV is expiring, probably now is not a great time to sell. So you can negotiate a year or two year extension. But I think that makes a lot of sense, right? Like even with myself and my joint venture partners, there's time to time where people make their own life decisions. What if they want to buy another primary residence, but they're holding the mortgage on this property, right? Sooner or later, they're going to need to sell this property. And hopefully it's not in a less than ideal circumstance where everyone takes a haircut. So it's something that I've been considering as well. People don't really talk about it. You learn it as you go through it. It's like, oh shit, yes. Like there are these different things to consider in, in other people's lives. But that was a really good point that, uh, that you brought up there. Now, um, sort of want to ask how you manage all of these, these businesses, because I'm sure Mayu can attest <laughs> to this myself as well. Like even managing one or two is stressful in itself. And yes, hiring the right people is obviously important. But as you know, when you hire people, it's almost like you're a human resources director now. It's just not, I find it's not just hire and go. You still got to train them, have the one-on-one meeting, so on and so forth. So yeah, walk yeah. me through how you're managing these, these multiple businesses. Yeah, so there's a two ways to kind of look at it. Uh, it depends on your management style and uh, how you structure your organization chart, 
Okay. And right. the reason why I said that is because initially we were always like finding ourselves being so busy and involved in the operation all the, all the time. Right. And uh, one of the advices that was given to us was that, hey, just hire a VA. But yeah, sure. VA also requires a lot of a, a lot of a management. Right. So what I learned uh, throughout the year is that in order for us to be operating a stable business or be able to accelerate uh, quicker, one thing that we always need to do is we need to be constantly be replacing ourselves if we're doing the bottom up type of management. Meaning if we're coming in here to operate this business, we need to find ways to keep replacing our daily tasks, right? So that we can focus on something a little bit more important. Okay, so for example, um, real estate business, right? If you don't hire an assistant, you're essentially an assistant, right? That's kind of like the mentality that someone needs to be in the back end handling all the paperwork for you so that you can focus your energy on having conversation, leisure, uh, nourishing the, the clients, right? Property management is different, right? Investment is the same thing, right? We always need to be building that kind of connection. So whatever we feel like is not the top of our priority, we hand it up to, to our staff, right? So, so that's bottom up type of uh, management. With uh, social media, what we're doing here right now is that we use top-down management. We actually have an integrator, a production manager to help us deliver and try to like come up with the ideas and try to fulfill the backend. Both me and Angel, our, our main responsibility is to come in here, talk about what we've done in the past week, or there's a certain topic that we need to talk about, or for example, podcast, right? We just need to show up, focus on that. And then, uh, and maybe look into the metrics with uh, our production manager, right? And look at the edit and see well, where it can be improved. And our metrics are very simple. We just need to look at how many views, uh, uh, like uh, how many views we get this past 28 days on YouTube channel or on Instagram, Facebook, or whatever, all the other platforms. And that's all we care about. And if the number is not, I guess, uh, achieved according to our projection, why is that, right? And then we push everything down to production manager and production manager figure out exactly what, what we need to do, right? So he ended up hiring some other VA, some editors. Uh, we just need to approve the budget. Gotcha. Interesting. And obviously you're able to do this because you have a cash flowing business. That was, that's another thing, right? Like don't start going on a hiring spree until you know that you have the revenue to be able to support these individuals. Exactly. The, the mentality shifted a lot because initially we always want to kind of get into making money first before we spend, right? That's like when anybody started, right? You want to figure out how to generate revenue and then you spend the money. A lot of people try to register for a corporation right? Putting up their websites and all that stuff. Honestly, none of that matters. You need sales, right? So yeah, starting yeah. from the very beginning, if you're an investor trying to like uh, close the joint venture partner, guess what? That's all it matters. Your landing page is not that important. You need to be building out that one-on-one personal relationship uh, as much as you can. And then when you bring on someone into the deal, you need to make sure that you're monetizing from the very beginning. Your acquisition fee, your maybe commission, if you're a realtor, Perfect. make sure that you make a bit of money so that you can stack up your project and really free up your, your, your time from the, from the nine to five job. That's right. So, so I'm curious on the investing business, um, I'll go into my, I have a second question after this, I'll go to that after, but who did you hire first purely for investing, managing rent, multifamily properties, uh, managing JV partners? Did you hire like an assistant and was that assistant a VA or did you hire someone here? Because yeah. there's obvious gaps, right? Like if you hire someone here, it's easier conceptually to understand deal hunt, paperwork, stuff like that. But Yep. Let me, let me take a step back on our organization chart because I feel like this can be very beneficial for, uh, for the yeah. audience. So number one is when we're building the business, we build business one at a time. We didn't build it all together at once, 
right? So property management business was set up first. We have the operational manager and admin manager, administration manager locally uh, to handle a lot of operation. And then we obviously have vendors and even we, we do the, we in-house the technician and maintenance technicians here. Okay, so that's one part. And then going to the real estate, we have a local admin to help us with uh, the, all the paperwork. And then I have a buyer's agent listing agency and all that. Now, moving into the investment, I already kind of have a lot of infrastructure in these two operations. If I want to mm-hmm. buy, acquire, I already have someone who can help me do that. So it's just adding additional tasks to them. Once the property gets onboarded, they upload all the, all the information into BuildM, right? I'm not the one who's actually documenting, but I, I, I just hand over the, the documents, right? It got to the point where I feel like even the acquisition process is a little too much. It's not, not like we're a big real estate company. It's just like, I remember 2021, 2020, when things are going fast and then we're, we have like anywhere between like 10 to 12 projects on the go, right? Sometimes it's renovation, sometimes it's acquisition, right? There's too much coordination. Then we, I end up hiring a finance coordinator to help me with all those paperwork so that I'm kind of adding additional layer between the property management and sales team. And that one person helped me handle or, or facilitate every single transaction and even renovation budgeting, right? So that's how yeah. I stack the team. That's a very much needed role, I'm sure, in myself and Austin's life, right? You have active businesses that you're pulling money from here and there to supplement your real estate investing and refinance yeah. checks coming in, in and out. And then it comes Crazy. to tax your end time and you're trying to reconcile all this and you're like, what the heck is going on here, right? So uh, yeah. definitely um, very, I think, applicable to a lot of people. Uh, comes with scale, comes with, um, you probably need an active business first, like Austin said as well, right? Like if you just have like five or 10 properties, you should be able to self-manage that, right? Um, I think I did at least for for quite some time. And then we got some assistance on the mortgage business and stuff like that and people to help out in bookkeeping and so on. But uh, before we go into any further, so I'm curious right now in the current market, the current environment that we're in, is your focus on investing or the active business? Great question. Love it. Um, monetization is still our number one thing because we always want to keep our cash reserve high. 2022, we bought seven projects still. And uh, those seven projects, actually eight projects, uh, one, we actually backed out seven of them, we sold two. Uh, one, we took a pretty big loss. Uh, there's another one that we're planning to pick a loss. So obviously there's an issue with the civilization with the portfolio. And we came in with the right expectation because we know that when we flip and when we do acquisition, it's going to be by good, 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 good. There's going to be a bad one where yeah. cycle shifted, right? Yeah, so we're yeah. in that stage. And then uh, we know that we, if we just keep it consistent, you know, cost per average is what, mm. what is uh, for stock, right? If we just do that with a real estate project, we're still going to be okay, right? But we're kind of in a, in a process of uh, needing to stabilize a few different projects. And we're kind of uh, working towards the end of that. Andrew, Sky, that they're working extremely hard, obviously trying to like keep the budget tight and all that stuff. But my position here is we actually do one of the two things. Uh, and I feel like this can be very relevant to, to the, the audience as well. Number one is, again, figure out your expense, right? Where are you bleeding the money, right? And do you need to actually change the business, business approach to your investment property and the business that you're doing. So right there, we have 14 full-time staff. We had to really reassess our staffing and, and uh, even like how effective they are. We had to bring it down to eight people, right? Brought it down to eight people, right? So that's kind of what we did early, uh, actually mid 2022. Okay. And then going to 2023, we're a lot more linear and then it was stabilizing the properties, right? In 2023, we focus a little bit more on the social media. There's a, a additional budget that we put into was the production to increase awareness and that awareness 
actually gave us even way more opportunities to kind of turn around the situation quicker because now more people want to work with, more people want to invest with us. All of a sudden, we we're, we're able to have a little bit more options. Okay, so that's kind of what we're doing. Consult the expense, look at where we can optimize in our business, in, in our rental properties, and then we're finding a different ways to monetize, increase the revenue so that we can always keep our cash reserve to where we want to be, basically. Yeah, I appreciate the transparency there. And I think a lot of people are doing something similar. I know for myself and my business, that's one thing that we had to shift because I do wholesaling, right? So revenue dried up. We had a lot of people, I think we changed almost all our staff to fixed income. That's hard, right? Especially when your revenue dips and your expense line remains the same. So we had to make adjustments accordingly. I think the way that you've explained it makes a lot of sense. But uh, it's hard for people in that situation to think clearly, right? All, like Logically, it makes sense. But when you're in the thick of it, it's like, what do I do? What do I do? And then you start, we almost have to take a 10 foot step back. That being said, so you mentioned that you have eight people on your team before you had a little bit more. I'm curious, are all your staff full time? Because I think a decision that people have trouble with is, look, I need a bookkeeper or I need, let's say, the finance coordinator that you have. They might do 15 hours of work, maybe 20 hours between me and my was like, you can't hire them full-time per se. Someone's looking for a full-time job. So is every person you're hiring full-time? And if yeah. not, oh yeah, they are. Yeah, okay. no, we're actually, we're back to 12 right now. Uh, full-time employees, they're all on salary. Um, actually, one person is a VA, but he's full-time. He's actually, he, he used to work here uh, in Canada for, I think the past like 12, 12 years and now he's in Mexico. But anyway, um, 12 people full-time. And obviously on top of that, we, have, we still have our vendors right, to facilitate the, the amount of workload that we had to do for, to, you know, fulfill um, the backing of the property management and even the sales. Now, how do you know they're going to be working 40 hours a week? Like, I'm sure when it gets to like, oh, like 20 hours, you're like, we should hire someone. But yeah. does this task really justify someone to work 40 hours and to pay them that much? Yeah, for sure. So here's the thing. I'm not really, I'm more like a result driven. So even my, my real estate admin, the, my, my KPI or even like KPA is, which is why I call key performance action. It's really important to me. I just don't really care about how many hours they put in as okay. long as they can fulfill their, their set of responsibility. And the truth is the moment that one set of responsibility drops, right? I want, we create a team culture where people want to take a lot of initiative, right? So we have a lot of bonus uh, building into our evaluation system. So the moment that they can do more, they earn more. We have no problem sharing the profit. And that's okay. essentially, the mindset that we had to kind of go back into our team when we had to like kind of trim it down. We say, hey, listen, the workload is going to be a lot more, right? Because now we have way less people that we can, we can facilitate. We don't mind outsourcing some of the work to, to the third-party vendors, leave those margin to them, but we just don't, we just, let's cut out the, the overhead costs. We remove our inventory completely for our property management business. We used to have uh, one room of supplies where people can just, a uh, technician comes in here, grab the stuff, right? We bought everything uh, sort of like wholesale price. We just remove everything so that we can reduce one full-time staff basically to okay. manage that. So uh, to answer your question, it, it's uh, we already knew that the workload is going to be high. Also based on what they filled out with a timesheet, we already know that it's 40, 50 hours. Uh -huh. okay. In some cases it could be even higher, right? So everybody makes a little bit more money. It's a little tougher. And then uh, obviously when the financial situation, real estate cycle changes, we'll readjust that again. Last thing on my end, and I'll swing it back to Mayu, and this is in still regards to the employment part. So there, there's like one thing I've realized in real estate, pretty much anything business, there's expectations and reality. 
the expectations when you hire people is like, okay, I can go kick back at a beach. Like they'll be able to handle everything. Not much is going to come up to me. That, for example, like property management expectation, you hire property management. Amalia and I know in the cities that we invest in, um, a lot of problems still shift back up to us and we have to ultimately make the decision. So it still requires brain power, even though you hired out. This part in your business, 12 people, multiple businesses on the go. What are things that you're still operating in? Just like to be realistic, right? That's like, oh, these things are still coming up to me, regardless of how big your team is, so on and so forth. Like I'm still facing these day-to-day issues. Could you sort of walk us through that? Yeah, property management business. And by the way, I'll give you a tip on that because I I think I know where where you're going with this. So property management business, I only do one to two hours a week evaluating the financial, the vendor uh, P&L with my finance manager. Uh, If there's uh, anything that, pops out for whatever reason, like for example, the we're having some loss with the vendor's bill, right? For example, it really shouldn't be negative if we're just building out and then charge back to you, uh, either the landlords or our own properties. It really shouldn't be negative. If it pops out, I want to know why, right? So that's essentially why I spend most of my time for property management, which is only two hours a week. Um, it's completely okay. Uh, pretty mm-hmm. disconnected from that operation. Sales business, sometimes it requires me to kind of uh, step in to do some sales training. Because again, like, Dealing with the the investors or even like buyers sellers, right? There's a sometimes a, like honestly, every single transaction is slightly different, right? There's an emotional level. There's also the contract uh, uh, things that that maybe we need to pay attention to. So I step into that business a little a little bit more. I want to say like probably on average it could be up to I want to say one day a week. So that already kind of takes up to you know one and a half days. Two days are going to be in media uh, production manager, but also on top of that, right now we have more students joining into our program, and I, I'm really focusing on the fulfillment of uh, every single investor that that, that join our program because I um, okay I don't know what you guys do, but I think a lot of people only do group coaching, and I noticed that the, the only way that I can accelerate or really elevate other people is to one-on-one coaching, basically like this, right? We're we're having conversation. I can really go into a lot deeper with how I operate certain problems, how I overcome certain problems, right? Where to avoid, how to choose the market and all that stuff, right? And really provide the custom support. I want to continue to do that even going into 2024 until I really don't have the time to fulfill this part. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 100%. I, just- no, I, I'd agree with that. I think uh, myself and Austin have both been part of multiple programs in the past and uh, definitely get the most value out of being one-on-one and asking whatever kind of dumb questions pop up into our head like we are today, right? So. A uh, big part of the podcast as well. You, if you want to pick people's brain, just get them on a podcast, right? It's a great opportunity. Um, yeah. So, so I, I want to kind of jump into because I think it was a really good conversation. It's a really good example to all of our listeners. Uh, the one thing I do find is that a lot of people that have retired off real estate, for the most part, have owned their properties for like ten years, right? And so, as a result of minimum wage going up, average rents going up, you now have true cash flow. Properties that we've purchased in the last two three years are maybe breaking even, maybe cash flowing today, but for the most part negligible amounts of cash flow, right? So the entire focus on active businesses is that that puts money in your pocket today, allowing you to leave your day job if you want to. Also, nothing wrong with staying in your day job if you've got a good income and if you like what you do. Like my wife loves what she does and she would never essentially leave, right? So everyone's different. I think everyone's journey is different as well. So you guys obviously have a couple of businesses. You've got good staff. Um, I think that was a really good question by Austin as well, just understanding what it is that you spend your time on today, because you will always still be working unless you truly master the four-hour work week. Um, But you've also now pivoted to the US. I do want to quickly talk about the US market, uh, what you're doing there, 
Um, I think for the most part, everyone knows what leads people to the U.S., but I'd love to hear from your perspective as well, just kind of what led you guys there. Just to say, the U.S. market has always been online, even since like 2020, 2021, right? We're like, okay, the, pro, uh, the real estate market over there is, is low, right? Compared to the real estate market in Ontario specifically. And uh, we always knew that that's something that we want to get in. But when the business is moving pretty fast and we're in the growth mode, it's a little hard to actually diversify even our portfolio or even the mental energy into a different market because now you have to relearn and there's just not a lot of synergy. So what we did is uh, where we really came to the realization that we had to tap into that was actually, again, 2022. Where we're seeing everything that's happening here in Ontario, the rules is going to be against the Airbnb, the short-term rental, right? The cottage, right? If you see all the chain in the past few years, the investor had to pivot so much we went from single family student rental all the way to duplex conversion, all the way to garden suite and multifamily. And then, and then COVID happened. All of a sudden, everybody's like uh, talking about cottage, right? And now we're kind of shifting back to, okay, I don't know where to invest. Maybe we need to start looking to private lending. Maybe we need to go to New Brunswick and Alberta. So if you look into the whole trend of the investors moving in the past few years, I've never seen any market where the investors need to shift that quickly. Okay, straight up. And the truth is, a lot of the strategy that, that's been promoted doesn't make any financial sense. Garden Suite, I would never do it. This is just my statement, right? Because the amount of money that I can put into that one garage and turn that into one or two bedroom, most likely it's not going to be two bedroom. It's bachelor or one bedroom apartment. I can buy a house using that kind of capital. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, so I would never touch We've had Garden those Suite. conversations as well here. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, and, and I, I see some people promoting it because that's their service and, and there's no problem with it, right? Because you want to, if you look at the ROI, if you never want to actually buy elsewhere, then okay, the number might make sense, right? But for me, I want to look for the right opportunity. So the moment that I'm thinking about the US is because when I'm thinking about Alberta market, New Brunswick market, or even some market all the way up north, I might as well just drive down four to five hours into Ohio market. If you look at Ohio market, the population is close to 2 million. If you put that state into Canada, that's the second largest state or province in Canada. It's only four to five hours away. So how come we're not considering that? And it's really because we're not familiar with the, the market and we're worrying about the mortgage qualification. You know, so a lot of things come by. I can go on this topic forever, but the way that I'm, I'm structuring what we're going to do in the next two to three years is like, hey, listen, right now, Ontario investors really cannot neglect this market, this opportunity anymore, right? Because the moment that you go there, everything's 200K. If there's an eviction, you don't have to wait for eight to 13 months. My previous one is 13 months. You can literally go down there, deal with the problem, or if uh, the tenants are not uh, operating or still not paying you rent, guess what? Two months out, you're not going to be here. Right. So there's just a lot more benefits in here. And now there's a pros and cons. Obviously, grass is always greener on the other side. But this is where we started doing a lot of due diligence in, in a different market. We started interviewing a lot of the real estate professional investors uh, uh, down there and just to kind of get to know uh, what market we need to be tapping into. Yeah. So, so it sounds like Ohio is a state that you guys have kind of picked. Is that that's correct? Yeah, we looked into so many more, but uh, Ohio right now, I think is the lowest uh, hanging fruit that we can just jump into there. We, we're also a GP for a couple uh, other big complex, but we didn't find a deal and then we're not going to be the boots on the ground team. We're just helping uh, them to raise some capital and then, uh, you know, help them promote, right? And that's kind of the, another way for us to get into the US because 
you know, we we're not there. So it's okay right. to be completely passive and not right. Right. for that active position. Yeah, no, I, I, we, we spoke with a couple people at our, at our most recent rise event that were doing the very, the very exact same thing, right? You help raise capital, bring the projects to people that aren't familiar with the US, you vetted the deal, you kind of done your due diligence on it, right? And uh, it's a way to kind of get your foot, foot in the door as well. So is it Cleveland that you're doing or is it Cincinnati or is it, what was the other one? There's a three C's in Ohio. Is it Cleveland? Yeah, yeah. Uh, the Columbus? Columbus? Yeah. Okay, cool. So I'm just curious then. So, so what are you guys doing from a financing perspective, getting into the U.S.? And I'll, I'll give you some background. Like I was looking into U.S. quite extensively last year. I started in the peak of the market because I was like, well, shit in Ontario doesn't make any sense now, right? And uh, so might as well just head down to the U.S. and at least you can sell cash flow. Um, and then the market here turned and uh, ended up uh, just buying here. But I'm curious, like the, the, the main issue that I was looking at and, and that a lot of people were looking at is what do you do for financing? Is it just private money? I looked at it as do your time, you know, get in with some private money, do your one or two years until you can get out of it, right? Build up a US credit bureau. Is that the reality or is there another? Yeah. yeah. So mortgage wise, you can still go to like uh, RBC and TD, right? Uh, they can right. actually help you qualify for maybe up to 75% of the loans of value. But the truth is, where the property is only 200K uh, USD, which is converts to maybe 250, 270K, we're in a pretty comfortable position where we can acquire a couple of projects, right? And just test out the water uh, without any mortgage. So that's one thing that we can consider doing. Um, but ideally, I would still want to uh, leverage the mortgage a little bit. Now, whether or not we can put it into a, a LP is a completely different story because uh, I think the very first project, they always want to have the personal uh, guarantee in there. So I'm on board with uh, everything you just said. We probably need to do our time, right? Just get yeah. in, right? And, uh, you know, suck it out for two years. And then, uh, but it's going to open out a lot more doors moving forward. And are you ever worried about currency? Because this is, uh, I don't know, not too much. I never worry about that because uh, when you're looking at the, the business move, right? I don't want the little things to prevent me from pulling the trigger. For example, social media and even coaching is the worst time ever to do this in uh, 2023, right? Because here's the thing, the interest is no, no longer going to be investment anymore, right? But why do we do this? Because the attention is still low, right? And competitors are getting, getting out of the market. So from a business point of view, business planning point of view, I want to kind of get in when uh, everybody's getting out, right? And then uh, because right. I'm seeing, I'm playing a three to five year vision, uh, three to five year term in term, uh, for my business. So if getting into the US and I'm worrying about taxation, I'm worrying about the currency exchange, I'm worrying about this and that, right? I'm never gonna pull the trigger because there's no perfect timing for me to do that. Yep. By the time this all get figured out, right? You're probably losing a, a, like a huge appreciation in the market. Yeah. No, I think, I think that was perfect. I think uh, we've covered a lot of topics and I, I don't think we ever acknowledged this, but um, obviously we had your, your, your partner on the podcast last week and uh, his episode was great. Your episode is great in a different way as well. Uh, so you're yeah, really, really glad to have you on. Normally at this point in the podcast, we'd like to answer, I guess, two questions. First one, you briefly already touched upon, but uh, where do you see your business going in the next two to three years? Main focuses, growth, stuff like that. Okay, so obviously that's a broad question, but for the investment side, I'm going to break into two different parts. Uh, for the investment side, buying a hold is not something that we're interested in doing more in Ontario. I think we built a decent amount of portfolio in the past decade, and then uh, we really enjoyed, uh, well, had the, had the fortunate enough to enjoy that kind of appreciation, market appreciation of the Ontario market. I think we're going to have, a, not going to sell everything, but we're going to offload some properties so that our cash flow reserve is even higher so that we can pull uh, the trigger in the in the U.S. market a little bit more, diversify a little bit, and then from there, 
based on what business opportunities uh, we, we come across, we might actually make a different decision. Okay, so that's for investment side. Now, flipping and any active uh, project we will still do in Ontario because we already have the infrastructure here, right? If we can generate off-market deals through our property management business, through our you know, regular touch of uh, uh, local business uh, connections, we're going to still acquire that. We just don't want the tenants to be involved in that investing equation anymore, right? So something quick, active, we're more than happy to continue to do that in, in Ontario, but long-term holds three to five years so moving forward is probably going to be allocated more towards the U.S. market. So that's number one. Now, in terms of the business, it's all about finding the synergy for our next, next step. I think success is really sequential. If you look at a lot of our other successful entrepreneurs, and I'm not saying that we're there yet. I think we're, by having the right mindset will help us uh, better position ourselves into in that position to to accelerate a little quicker. So we don't want to start anything that's way off. And we also don't want to overscale a business for too much because when we did that, there's a lot of mistakes that I can share in property management, business, realty, even investment side, right? We acquire way too many projects at the same time, right? Overscale will always lead to overhead costs, right? And after you have the overhead costs, you just show up all the margin. So you end up doing a lot of work for almost zero margin, right? Yeah. At the end. So Business-wise, we have targets, but but yeah, that's kind of like where where we're how we're positioning in the in the next two to three years. No, I like that. You guys are definitely very very impressive, guys. Uh, the second question is for a newer investor getting started in today's market. Um, what kind of advice would you share with them today, or cautionary, or, or whatever you want to share? Yeah, bird doesn't work anymore. Okay, and that's just a reality. If you want to burn another project, guess what? You're consuming the knowledge that you're. That people are putting out two years ago, or even uh, not even a year ago, two to three years ago. So recognize that uh, there's a different strategy in different real estate cycle, and in today's cycle, you have to figure out how to monetize, right? Because if we talk about cash flow being so important in real estate, but nobody talks about cash flow being important in your business, right? Why are we speculate that our pay is going to come from the the properties when we don't even know where real estate is going to go? Right, you have to protect our own income, our active business income, right? So design your business uh, model accordingly. Make sure that you assess and see if that's a scalable model where you can actually get compensated throughout the project management uh, process. And then from there, if that makes sense, okay, you figured out the monetization way in real estate and that's where you can further scale up. Awesome. Yeah, you definitely speak like an engineer. How you approach things are very quantitative, logical, and in and, and a problem-solving manner. I could very much tell that you're an engineer. I'm just curious, do you have a coach by any chance or do you guys, are you guys just like creating these ideas yourself and just executing? No, we always pay for speed because uh, sometimes being cheap or look for cheaper options sometimes gets more expensive to us. Um, yeah, so everything I talk about property management, at some point we have the property management coach that's lead, uh, kind of walking us through how to actually build that organization, charting, all that stuff. Realty, we have a different coach and then okay. even coaching. All that stuff. We always have coaches. It sounded like it because it sounds like even your two-year plan is very well thought out and put together, right? Like everything that you're talking to is like, oh, sounds like you've already kind of done it, even though you're striving towards it. So it, it, I guess it makes sense that you're leveraging the experience off of sort of your mentors that you have there. But anyways, Ping, really appreciate you jumping on. I, this was almost like a coaching call for Mayu and Dai and our <laughs> listeners. So like it was, it was a really great episode. For those who want to connect with you, learn more about your journey, check out your podcast and other content, how could they best do so? Well, the main channel is called 
property hustlers. Uh, we put out a lot of the uh, contents out there on YouTube. And but if anybody wanted to kind of get in touch with me directly, you can do uh, DM on Instagram, ping underscore real estate, or you can send me an email, ping at eliterealestatenetwork.ca. Awesome. And for those who enjoyed this episode, make sure to like, subscribe, share with a friend. It helps bring awesome guests like Ping on. And until next time, everyone, invest smarter and live better. Take care, all.